you would bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 that Mike read to us just a second ago together. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time that we have to gather together as your people. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we can come directly to you in prayer through what Jesus has done. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life, with us and in us, illuminating our hearts and our minds. We ask that you would come and you would do that this morning, that you would open the eternal truths of your word, that you would apply them directly to our hearts and our minds this morning. We just confess we can't do that without you. And so we need you this morning to be our teacher and our leader and our guide in all things. And so we ask that you would do that. Uh, I, I pray that the the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be uh, well-pleasing in your sight and that it would be honoring to you. We pray that you would be lifted up in this time and that we would leave here having seen you more clearly. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, a lot of you uh, know my oldest son, Asher. Uh, he loves, loves, loves soccer. Uh, he started playing soccer uh, when he's four years old. He's 10 now. Uh, he's actually a- away at a tournament this morning playing soccer. Like, loves soccer. Like, his, his life just revolves around getting to play with his friends and all these things. Loves to play. And what I've learned is I started to watch. I knew nothing about soccer when he was four years old when he started. I still don't know a whole lot, but I've started to learn. And what I've learned is, is I enjoy watching uh, his team play over the years. He's been playing with some of the same little boys since he was four years old. But this team of these kids that come together, and they actually have a pretty good team. His team's gotten to be pretty good. And what I like watching about his team is, is not just so much the soccer, but I've gotten to know the kids and I know their personalities and the way they fit together and which kids are, are really, really hyper and really aggressive and which kids are more laid back and which the bigger ones and the smaller ones and they're good at different things. And what's happened in this team that's so cool, the longer they've played together, they've learned to play together. They actually start to play together in this way that's really cool to watch. The kid that's really fast and just kind of go, go, go is great at being up front and going and scoring goals. Uh, my son, Asher, is very, very conservative in the way he thinks. And so he's a defender and he's really good at it. He always knows where to be. And so he plays his part and he gets the ball out of there and he passes it. And then the kid that's really fast goes down and then the big kid barrels through and scores. And it's great. And it's fun to watch all of them working together in that way. Uh, maybe you can think of uh, of your favorite team. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's a team you played on. Maybe it's not uh, sports at all. Maybe you're not a sports person. Maybe it's a job that you worked at or a company you worked for where you just had a good group of people that complemented each other well. And you could look at that and go, we're way better together than we are individually. Because that's kind of what I see with my son's soccer team. None of them are just all world greatest player in the world, but you put them together and they play really well together. And suddenly they've got something really good. And I think that's the same when we see that in different areas of our life, maybe our work or hopefully our church and those types of things that we work better together than individually. And so I start there this morning because we're going to talk more today about the person and work of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about the last few weeks. And what we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 12 is Paul's going to talk about how the Holy Spirit equips us to grow closer to him and to one another and to proclaim God's glory. Uh, what we often talk about is discipleship. We say we want to grow in obedience to Jesus in every area of our lives or, or actually kind of like I've been tweaking that a little bit, thinking about that uh, discipleship, applying the gospel to every area of our life and our heart, coming under God's 
uh, will for us in all those ways, led by the Spirit. And that's really what we're talking about this morning, the work of the Holy Spirit. What we've done the last few weeks is the first week we looked at who the Holy Spirit is. He's God. He is a person. He's part of the Trinity. He's co-eternal. He has all the same power that the Father and the Son has. But He's with us and in us. And we talked about that. But then we started to look at what the Holy Spirit does. The work that He does in our life. And so we've been talking about how He reveals and shows to us our sin and our need. And then points us more fully to Jesus. We've talked about that the last couple weeks. But today we're going to talk how in doing that and working in that He equips us. For this work and this call that God's given us of making disciples who make disciples, of growing in obedience to God, of of applying the gospel to every area of our heart. And what we see is this picture of we work better together than individually. And part of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 is just that. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And the way I wanted to look at it is we think about this work of the Holy Spirit equipping us for what God's called us to do is first. Uh, who is being equipped? Who is being equipped? Who does the Holy Spirit come in and equip to do this work? Secondly, how does that work? When he equips, how does it work that he does that and, and works in that to bring us closer to him, to make disciples, to make disciples? And then lastly, why does God do it like this? Why like this? Because he's going to give us this picture of the way this works and what the Holy Spirit's doing. And so I just want us to think about why was God doing it that way? And so who is being equipped? How does that work? And then why does God do it like this? And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 together and just begin with that question of who is being equipped here. And so start in verse 1 with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so there's the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about, the work, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And before we even get to just the who, this this will lead us to us, is such a foundational truth here to what Paul says at the very beginning that we need to stop and at least consider for just a second. Because it's so foundational to everything we're going to look at the rest of this morning. If you see your need, that is, you have made, been made aware of your sin in your life, that you realize that you're not a perfect person, that you've, you've rebelled against God, you've ignored God and the world that He's created. If you've come to that realization and you see the idea of standing before a holy, perfect, righteous God is terrifying. In and of yourself, to stand before God on your own, in your own merits, that's a scary proposition. The the Scriptures tell us that over and over. There's lots of pictures of that, of standing before God, in and of ourselves, being weighed or judged based on what I've done. That's a very scary thing. And if you've come to that realization, and you begin to see that, and it's led you to see that you are in great need of mercy and grace of God in your life. That the only way that you could ever stand before a holy, righteous, perfect God is if God is merciful to you. That He's gracious to you. That He had to come in the flesh and do what you could never do for you. This is the very heart of the gospel that we proclaim. That the God of the universe lowered Himself and came into His own creation and lived this life perfectly. And He got to the end and He said, I will take your sin upon Myself and I will give you by grace 
my perfect righteousness, restoring you to your Father God that you were created to be in relationship with. If you believe that, if you profess that, if you say Jesus is Lord and that's the only way that's ever going to happen, I just want to be real clear with you. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So part of what I want us to see is just shine a light very clearly on the things, the concrete things that God says in his word that the Holy Spirit does. And Paul says right here in verse three, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, now you could kind of facetiously say that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus is Lord. Mockingly, you could say that and not have the Holy Spirit in you to say that. But what he's talking about is by faith. Believing that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that it's only by his grace and what he's done for you to see that and to know that and to hold on to that and profess that. That is because the Holy Spirit has come into your life and opened your eyes to see it. And so I want you to think about that for just a second, because I know many of you here have been following Jesus a lot longer than I have. Some of you well before I was born. And you may have forgotten That the Holy Spirit came powerfully into your life and opened your eyes to proclaim Jesus. And so I just want you to see that. That the Holy Spirit has done this miracle in your life if you confess Jesus is Lord. That's what he says. And so that's, that's foundational and it's important for us to see that and to understand that. No one comes to faith apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you go, well, I'm not sure how the Holy Spirit's active in my life as a Christian. Sometimes I'm not sure what that I can tell you. There's one way right there very clearly. If you're here today and you go, I don't know about that. I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I'm not sure what it means to follow Jesus. I'm not sure all those things that you just said about God's grace and how that would work. But you're asking those questions. You're beginning to say, maybe I'm not sure. There has to be something more to this. I'd just like to point out to you the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. And He's showing you, and He's coming alongside, and He's pointing, and He's beginning to show you those things. And so I just want us to be clear on the concrete things that the Holy Spirit does. And so just starting there is a foundational thing because Paul says it here. Jesus, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so there He is working in that. But then when we start to think about how the Spirit works, uh, works to equip believers, look at what he says in starting in verse 4. Remember, we're asking the question first, who is he talking about? Who does he equip for this work? Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so I want you to understand what Paul is saying, who he's writing to. I know we just jumped into 1 Corinthians 12. We studied the book together a couple years ago, if you were here with us. Paul's writing to a church that he helped plant. He went and proclaimed the gospel, and he stayed there with them. And he uh, sowed into them, and this church took root, and it began to grow. And then he moved on to plant other churches. And he writes this letter back to this church because they're all sorts of jacked up. They're a mess in a whole lot of ways. And he's heard all these things that are going on. And so he writes this letter to encourage them and to correct them and to point them more fully to what it looks like to follow Christ. And so he writes to this church that's all over the map. 
And he tells them that to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Or he talks about the variety of activities and it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And so when we say uh, who is being equipped in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can make disciples that make disciples, that we could grow in our knowledge of the Father, that we could grow closer to Him. And the answer is all believers. If you're a Christian, the only way you profess that to begin with is the work of the Holy Spirit. And as you do, the Holy Spirit comes in fullness and in power in your life. And so I want you to understand as we look here and we think about this and we look at this picture of who we're talking about, who's being equipped for this work. If you proclaim Jesus as your Savior, we're talking about you. That's, that's who it's talking about. God equips all of us. We all have the same spirit. Paul goes to great lengths to say that. At work in all of us to do this work in us that would help grow us closer to Him and to one another and to proclaim His name. We all have the same Holy Spirit. Now, it is true at different times we can ignore the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot hear Him as clearly because we're running from Him, we're turning our back, but He's still there. And He's still working. When we seek to open God's Word and send time and to seek Him and to hear His voice more clearly, which we're going to hear most clearly through His Word. But He is there and He is active. And it says He equips us for this work. Remember, He's addressing this church here that are not super Christians. They're all kinds of a mess. And God is is telling through Paul that He's got to use all of them in this. And he's going to equip them for this work. And so when we begin to ask the picture of what does that look like, it's for every believer. Sometimes we can get in this mode, especially in the church in America today. And we put different things in different categories. And we kind of make it like, like uh, if you stand up front and you talk, oh, you're, you're really godly. That's not the picture that's here at all. If you read through it, it says we all have the same Lord. We all have the same Holy Spirit. God equips us and gifts us in different ways. It's us as sinful, broken people that assign more value to different things than others. We do that. God doesn't do that here. In fact, through Paul, he says he's equipped us in these different ways for these different ministries. And he talks about how invaluable all of them are. Like he says in verse 22, this is where Paul goes to this whole picture of the body, the eye and the hand and the nose and the ear. We need all of it. And he talks about how God's going to equip each of us in that through the power of the spirit. And together we come together and make this whole. And what he says in verse 21 is the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And so he says the same Holy Spirit is in all believers and God's going to equip you in these different ways for his work and what he's going to do. And we're all indispensable in that. We're all part of that. We're all part of what God's going to do in those areas to grow the body, to make disciples, to grow closer together, to glorify God. And when we miss it, we begin to put certain things in certain categories. But that's not what the picture is. And so I want you to just consider when we say who is being equipped, it's all believers. 
the same Holy Spirit with you and in you to equip you for this work that God's going to do. And we all have a role to play in that. And every single one of us has something invaluable to offer as the Holy Spirit works in you, empowering you for the good of his body and for reaching the world for God's glory. And so when we say the who, it's all of us. That's the first part. So the second part is how does that work? What exactly does he do? Well, when you read through this chapter, he begins to talk about the one body with many members. The hand and the feet and the eyes. And he makes that analogy, helps us hold it together. Talks about the ways that we're gifted. He goes through all different sorts of things. He lays out, I'm not going to go through all the spiritual gifts, just big picture. He's giving these different gifts. He apportions it as he wills. It talks about that he gives us different gifts to work together, more fully together than on our own. And he begins to do that, but he gets down to the end of this section. And let me just remind you, I say this from time to time. We added the chapters and verses after the fact. Right. So sometimes we read and it's like, well, no, that's not in chapter 12. That's chapter 13. Well, it's all the same thing. Paul was just writing along, giving you this whole picture. Right. So 13, he gets to the end of this picture of how we're gifted in these different ways. And we work together and we're all indispensable and it's all the same spirit. And then he gets to chapter 13 and in verse two, he says, uh, and if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries of all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So he just talked about all these gifts and all these things and the way that we can work and the way that we can help each other. And we come together. But he says, if we're not doing it out of love, it's a waste of time. He says, I have nothing. Or verse three, if I give away all that I have. I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love. I gain nothing. He says you can give away all your stuff and you can be a martyr. And if you're not doing it out of love for God and then as an overflow to a love for people, you've got nothing. And so I think you could take all of that and you could begin to summarize it this way. It's a pretty serious statement that Paul says. You can do all these things. You can be really busy, but if you're not doing it out of love, it's nothing. And so how do we summarize the work of the Holy Spirit in us? It's all believers working together. How? What's the picture? How does he do this? He works in us, opening our eyes to see the great love of our Father through what he's done for us and his son Jesus. We said that at the very beginning. No one uh, proclaims that Jesus is the Lord except through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit shows us our Father, and His great love for us and what He's done for us in Jesus. And then He magnifies and He glorifies Jesus. And in doing so, this love grows in us for our great God. You know how much God loves us that He would send His Son. You know, when you say that, when you feel that, when you know that, that is the Holy Spirit at work in you. You don't do that on your own. Do you see how cool that is? When we sing those songs and you're overwhelmed about who Jesus is, that's because the Holy Spirit is in you. And He's bringing this love to the Father, through the Son, and what God has done. And then what happens is it begins to be an overflow that you want to love other people. And that overflow happens that you want other people to know how great God is and what He's done through Jesus. That's how the Holy Spirit does it. 
want to know how He equips us for this work and these gifts and these things He's given us? He overflows your heart with the love for Him to the point that you can't stand not to tell other people. And it's not just speaking it, it's actually living it out in your life and serving and caring and using the way He's gifted you to go and show them that. That's how He does it. That's why Paul gets to the end and he says God gives all these different ways of serving and doing and all these things. But he says if you do all that stuff and you don't have love, you've missed it. It's nothing. And so the way he does it is he gives us this great love for the Father through the Son that overthrows or overflows to people. That's why Jesus will summarize. You'll know my disciples by the way they love each other. Abide in my love and you will bear much fruit. That's what it looks like. It helped me a great deal thinking about that. Years ago, I read an article or, or an essay that Jonathan Edwards wrote. If you don't know who Jonathan Edwards is, he was a Puritan pastor. He's considered to be one of the greatest American theologians. Some people say he's the greatest American theologian. He used to spend 13 hours a day meditating on the Scriptures. And go for three-hour walks and just pray as he'd walk and he'd meditate on two or three words of one verse for hours on end. And he just breathes God's Word. That's how he spent his time. And what Edwards said is that when you read through Paul's letters, you see often he talks about the love of the Father and the love of Christ, but never the love of the Holy Spirit. And what it led Edwards to was to say that the, the love of the Father through the Son, the grace and love that exists there between them is the Holy Spirit. The person of the work of the Holy Spirit is that love that holds all of it together. And he would say that as he started to think about that. I remember reading, and by the way, I'm way oversimplifying Jonathan Edwards. And the reason I'm doing that is because that's the only way I'm going to get it, because he's way, way smarter than I am. And I'm probably missing a whole lot of what he says. But what struck me as I read that is that when you do feel the love for other people, when you are overwhelmed by that love for the Father and through the Son and what He's done, and you want other people to know that, that that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you start to think about that picture of that God loves you so much that He floods your life with that to see Him and to know Him, and then it begins to bubble over to love other people. But not only that, if you put it in the context of this whole chapter, He doesn't just leave you there. He then begins to equip you with different ways to actually love other people. That He loves us so much that He gives us all different roles to play in that, to come together to show more fully what God's like. And you start to go, how He does that? Notice what Paul says in verse 7 of chapter 12. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's not often how we think about our spiritual life, especially in our country. You hear me say this frequently. We live in the most individualistic society in the history of the world. And so we think that God blesses us with the Holy Spirit so me and God can walk together, just the two of us. It's all about me and God. I got my own relationship. I don't need you guys. I'm okay. I'll go walk in the woods. We'll be fine. It's just me and God. But he says he gifts you 
through His Spirit, not for yourself, but for the common good. So you can love God and love other people. And so we talk about how it works is it's not just for us to be individually on our own. It's for us to be together spurring one another on. And God shows us and teaches us through other people in those ways. We're going to talk about the next couple of weeks about what it looks like to walk in step with the Spirit. It's the way Paul talks about it in Galatians, to walk in keeping or in step with. And the more I think about it, when, when I want to isolate, I want to make it just go sit in my office and just read my Bible and not have to do with anybody else and I'll just do it by myself and I'll spend time with God and I'll just be me and God and all those things. I'm not saying those things are bad. We are called to do that. We are called to spend time alone with God, but it's not just that. The gifts that God's given us to proclaim His name, to help spur one another on, are for other people. And so when I think about walking in step with the Spirit, it's not just about all me and God. It's me loving God and then loving people is an overflow of that. And I think that's how he does it and what he's pointing us to here. If you think about it, that's the picture that we have of the Trinity. We talked about that a couple weeks ago in the first week. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we see this picture, this conception that Jesus gives us in John 15 and 16, 14. And he's talking about how the Father loves the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, and they send the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to do the same and point you to Jesus, who points you to the Father. And you see this picture that C.S. Lewis describes as the dance, all three parts of the Holy Trinity working perfectly, glorifying the other, pointing to the other. So does it not make sense when we're walking in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes in us in power that that's what we'd be doing? That we'd be pointing to the Father through the Son, glorifying them, making much of them for one another's good. I think that's exactly what he calls us to on how he does it. And so I want you to think about those times in your life when the Holy Spirit is moving and active and teaching and showing you those things. I often think about how we love others. And so naturally, my affections go to my children. And so every night I go in and I pray with my kids. And, and we pray for things like they'd have a good day at school and they would sleep well and they wouldn't have bad dreams, right? The things they want to pray for. Pray that I'm not really tired when the alarm goes off. That's the six-year-old. <laughs> and so we pray those things and those are good things to pray. Nothing wrong with those things. And we pray all those things. But then the last thing I pray with them every night is that they would love Jesus more than anything else in the whole world. And then I go back when they're asleep and I pray that their identity would be rooted and grounded in Jesus. That they would love Him more than anything else. That they would grow up to want people to know Jesus and that's what they would care more than anything else. And as I read Jonathan Edwards, and as I think about it, and I see this, I go, that is the Holy Spirit at work. That doesn't come from me. In my selfishness, I'll pray for things like, please protect my kids, which is a good thing. But I'll pray that partly because I don't want to have to deal with if they were in danger. But when I begin to pray that they would make their entire life 
Be rooted and grounded in Jesus and nothing else. That's the work of the Spirit. No one says Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Spirit. Or or when I back out of my driveway and I see my neighbor's house that don't know Jesus. And I just start to pray for them. God, please, would you show them your glory? Would you allow me in some way to get to be part of them having their eyes open to see and know and love you above all else? And then I'm reminded that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Is God dwelling in you and with you. That's not me. And it's such a great comfort and joy to have that. That He loves you so much. That He allows you to be part of that. That He welcomes you in. But then I think the picture that you see here is He gives us those desires. He gives us those, those longings to see people know Him. But then He equips you in some specific way to help in the body for that to happen. We get to be part of it. We get to come together. I think the greatest apologetic for the church is the way that we would love one another. You will know my disciples by the way they love each other. And so we get to love one another and invite people into that and show them what God's like and the power of the Spirit that they would have their eyes open and Jesus would be glorified. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And He allows us to be part of it. But part of that is then being obedient. Following Him. He's gifted you in these ways, so how are we going to use the gifts that He gave us for His name? And so all those things go together. As we love Him and we see Him and that overflow begins to happen and then we want to see other people. We want to help one another grow in that. But then we have to begin to use the gifts that He's given us. And as we do, as silly as it is, it's like my son's soccer team. Suddenly it's way better together than it was individually. Suddenly there's a much more beautiful picture of us loving one another in the way God's called us to than any of us can do on our own. And so I want you to just think about as we end, and I'll be brief, why does God do it like that? Why does He give us gifts to help others? He says right there, He's giving you these gifts, these manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. It's not just about you and God. Why does He do it like that? Well, we were made to glorify God, to be in relationship with Him, to reflect what He's like. And so I just asked the question, what is God like? When we love God and we love other people, we're glorifying, we're showing, we're reflecting back what God's like. And the truth is, in our sinfulness, if God just gave us every spiritual gift, one in the same, all to ourselves, all of us get all of it, you know what we do? I'm good by myself. Thank you. I don't have to deal with anybody else. I'll just stick right here with me. But he's pulling us out into that to love God and to love other people, to restore us to the way we were made. And when we do so, we glorify God. We show what he's like. And so God is remaking us. He's taking our sinful, selfish, 
inward way of living. And he's turning us inside out to restore us to the way we were made to love others, to love him. And so it's like he knows in, in his grace and in his love, he just gives us bits and pieces of it and go, huh, guess what? Now you got to go do this with other people. And in doing so, he's turning us to the way we were supposed to be made or the way we are made. Away from our sinful, selfish desires to live that out in the way he's called us to. And so Jesus says in John 15, if you abide in my love and you love one another as I've loved you, your joy is going to be full. He says, if you abide in me and that begins to overflow and you begin to love people, you're now aligning yourself with what God's like. And so the Holy Spirit equips us. He gives us those desires. He changes our heart and then he gives us this way to do that. And so if you've been around here for any period of time, you'll hear us talk about getting involved in a community group, getting involved with other people. There's these ways that we try to do that and we don't do it perfectly and we mess it up a lot and it'll never be perfect. But we try to create environments where we can step into those relationships together and use our gifts to encourage one another, to grow in that, to remind one another of who Jesus is and what he's done and then invite people into it with us that they might experience that as well. And the reason we talk about that a lot is that Jesus says you're going to have a fullness of joy living that way. Loving God and loving people and the power of the Spirit and what He's told us to do. That's what He calls us to do. And it's a beautiful opportunity that we have together as believers. And so I just want you to see so clearly. I want you to think about it and leave today with the thoughts of the things that you clearly see the Holy Spirit moving in your life. I so want more of that. I want to be so overwhelmed with love for God and love for people that that just consumes my life. To point them more and more to who Jesus is. I'm fully convinced that Jesus knows what he's talking about, that that's where our fullness of joy is going to be. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you've done for us. We thank you for the power in the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray that you would continue to show us and teach us and lead us and guide us and equip us for your glory and our good. I pray that you would help us to see it more clearly. I pray that you'd help us to make the steps in obedience to follow you exactly wherever that may be. Even when that pushes us outside of our comfort zone, even when it begins to tug at uh, the ways that we isolate or the ways that we hang on to ourselves. And I pray that you would open us up to the fullness of what you would have for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.